And I think we know this. When it's a good writing session, it's when we surprise ourselves. Something happens that we didn't expect, uh, maybe even shocking. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. Do you ever feel like we're living in a time of extreme uncertainty and instability? (laughs) If so, you're very intuitive because we are. Today's guest on the Find Your Voice podcast is a prolific poet and creative coach, Mark McGinnis. And he talks about how as creative people, we can actually use the uncertainty and unpredictability of the time that we're living in to our advantage. I love this conversation. He says, you can actually make your creativity your security. As far as how to do that, he has some super practical advice. One of my favorite pieces of advice that he gives in today's conversation has to do with the opposite to picking up your phone when you have an extra minute or two or three to yourself. He gives a suggestion for what you can do instead, and it's very, very simple. The second thing he says is surprising. He says to forget the career ladder. (laughs) Speaking of uncertainty and unpredictability, And to hear what he suggests we do instead, you'll have to listen to the conversation today. But the third thing he says, you'll totally know why I love this so much. He says the third thing we can do is to fall in love with our writing. So if you feel like the world world is unstable right now, get ready to uncover the stability and assurance that exists inside of you through your creativity and, of course, your voice. Hi, Mark. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Alison. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. Well, I want to start this conversation in the same place that we start each of these episodes, which is with this question. What does it mean to you to find your voice? Ha. Huh. So this has changed for me quite a bit over the years, and it's that in, under the influence of two of my teachers. So I used to have this idea that finding my voice as a writer would be a kind of a metaphorical finding my voice on the page and there would be one voice and I would recognize it and it would be me. Mm. And then I'd be in my groove and I'd be off, you know, writing and, and, and I wouldn't have to look back. But for many years I've studied with the poet Mimi Calvati. And one thing she said to the, to us one day was, well, you know, maybe you can find more than one voice. Maybe mm. when you really open up your imagination, you discover there's there's a, a range of voices in there, and sometimes you write more in one voice, and you know maybe as you develop as a writer, you you discover different voices. So I really like that idea that it it could be plural voices. And then a few years ago, I also studied with Kristin Linklater, who is or sadly was because she passed away last year. She was a really amazing voice teacher. And so she worked mainly with actors. She had a specialism of helping them embody and speak Shakespearean verse. So I 
asked to go on the course as a poet. And I got a very visceral physical experience of the voice from her. And she said that her work was all about connecting your voice, which is your imagination, with your speech, which is, you know, the anatomy and the physical articulation. Mm. And and she certainly did that for me. And so for me now, I, I really feel it as more of a literal voice, a physical voice. And there's a much closer link between speaking or reciting poetry and writing it. So, you know, going forward, I think that's going to mean I'm going to be recording and sharing a lot more poetry recordings in future. So that's that's where I'm at with my journey with with my voice or voices. I love that. I really like that idea of having more than one voice because one of the things we talk about on this show a lot is the connection between the writing life or a creative life and just life in general. And Mm -hmm. to me, that rings true with how I experience myself in the world also, that finding your authentic self or finding a way to show up as your authentic self in the world really requires, there are just so many different facets to each of us and aspects to each of us that we Mm -hmm. couldn't be boiled down to like a simple description in our bio on Instagram. You know, there's just so much more, so many more layers to all of us as human beings than just that. So I really like that idea that that could show up on the page as well. I would love to talk about poetry because we Mm -hmm. haven't had a lot of poets on the show. I am a huge fan of poetry. I fell in love with poetry in during my uh, getting my English degree at a liberal Mm -hmm. arts university. But before that, I had this idea about poetry that I think a lot of people have about poetry, which is, was that poetry is confusing. It's complicated. It's hard to understand. I I don't think I really knew why I, I didn't feel, even if I wrote poetry, I didn't ever feel confident to share it with anyone. So I'm wondering if you can speak to that a little bit and talk about what draws you to writing and and using and reading poetry and maybe talk to our listeners about you know like what could be in it for them for lack of a better term to, sure, to, to sure. read and practice with poetry yeah i think it's got it's become overcomplicated recently and you know there's a lot of people you're certainly not alone in in saying it seems a bit complex, a bit intimidating, a bit academic, you know, I don't understand all the references, I don't really get what's going on. Well, if you feel like that, then poetry didn't start off that way. Mm. It's possibly the oldest, certainly one of the oldest forms of the arts. It it predates writing, you know, by thousands and thousands of years. It was an oral art. It came out of singing and storytelling around the campfire. At its heart, it's it's a communal, shared experience, and there had to be something very direct and very emotionally powerful for it to persist all that time. So, and I you know maybe I'm slightly romantic on these things. I do like to think that that persists and can persist for us as readers and writers of poetry these days. So. You know, if you feel that maybe it's not you is what I'm saying. Maybe it's the poetry world has slightly lost the thread a little bit. I mean, there is, you know, some amazing experiments going on and particularly the last hundred years. But if you look, there are still poets who are writing about things that are comprehensible and meaningful Mm -hmm. and relatable and and powerful. And, you know, it's, it's a broad church these days. So I think maybe like I was saying about the different voices like now, Poetry is absolutely not a monolithic 
world. There are many, many voices out there now. And if you're remotely curious about it, then there will be plenty of voices that I think will speak to you. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, you know, I, I really like what you said about how it's possible the poetry world has slightly lost the thread. I think this happens with writing and literature too. This show, people who are listening know this already, but is so much built around the idea that we have these cultural myths about what it means to be a writer that prevents a lot of us from opting into that sort of group or club because we think like, oh, other people are writers. You have to have a certain degree or you have to be trained in a certain way or you have to be, you know, like, you know, a special kind of talent as a writer in order to be a writer. And my view is that everybody has something to gain from participating with this practice and that a writing practice can do a lot to help us to help reflect back to us how we are and who we are in our lives. And so it can be an incredible tool for self-growth and and therapy and communication and all these other things. I think what you're saying about, you're saying the same thing about poetry, that if, you know, if we get the sense that poetry is like, it's funny actually too, you use the word academic. And I think poetry at its core is meant to be the opposite of academic. It's meant to sort of capture us like a different part of our brains by introducing to us images that are that, that don't immediately make sense. It's not linear the way that a, a piece of prose would be, but you know, you can see the images in your head and then you can make the connection between those images that you want to make. I don't know if that, if that's how you feel about poetry or if you have a different approach. Well, I certainly agree. It's nonlinear. You know, one of the things I like about a poem is you've got to read it backwards and sideways as well as forward, forward, mm. You know, and this is one reason we have rhyme is because it makes you, it chimes with what you've just heard a couple of lines ago. Lines ago? I'm rhyming already. (laughs) Lines ago. And it's, you know, you're supposed to notice this and you're supposed to notice, you know, something that happens later on the poem should chime or resonate with stuff that is set up earlier in the poem. And, you know, to me, I, I tend to treat books of poetry a bit more like CDs or probably a bit old-fashioned these days but you know like an album (laughs) because you can play over and over again and you hear more each time or you you see more as you read it it's not like a novel that you know if you really love that novel you might read it two or three times in your lifetime but if you love a poem then you're going to go back and keep finding Mm. more in it so true how can poetry and maybe that maybe that was you sort of answering this question but i want to go a step deeper and ask how can poetry help us as creative people That's a good question. So I have this thing on my podcast. I talk about make a habit to, and this is a little thing that you can do in your day, but it can give a very different quality to your day. I say, pick up a poem instead of your phone. Oh, I love that. Because we, we all know what it's like. I mean, we've got these wonderful phones and I've got one too. And I, you know, you, you find yourself picking it up and just checking, checking the news, particularly mm-hmm. these days, checking the weather, checking Twitter, checking whatever. And sometimes it's important that, you know, we know what's happened today. But how many times a day do we really need to know that, even in a fast news cycle like today? And I think we all know the feeling of, I'm just looking at this because I'm looking at this. It's not, there's nothing I really want on this phone. And so what I say to my clients and podcast listeners and what I do myself is always have a book of poetry within reach. 
you know, have one on your desk, have one by your favorite armchair, put one on your handbag or your briefcase if you're out and about or when we're allowed to be out and about. <laughs> and if you get that urge to pick up the phone and there's really not something that you absolutely need from it, pick up a poem instead. You know, open that book, read it, and you just read one poem and it'll take a couple of minutes and there's always time to do that in your day. And you get a dose of imagination. You get... Well, you, I mean, you can't predict what you're getting. You might get an anthology, and it could be any poet talking about anything. And yeah. they take you, and you know, the, we all know the feeling when we've been looking at our phone too much, we just feel a little bit like we've just eaten some mental junk food. Well, this is the opposite. It's like you've had a really good meal, and you feel energized. You feel, I mean, maybe it could trigger something. So I would say that, you know, the first thing, if you want poetry to make you more creative, then invite poetry into your life in a small way like that. And it's amazing how quickly you can get through. I mean, I can get through several slim poetry books in a week that way, just in the little, you know, gaps in my day. Yeah. I love that advice. I'm going to adopt that. I'm, it's so easy to get into the habit of picking up your phone when you've got, you know, three minutes between a meeting or five minutes between a meeting. And I talk all the time about using those margins in your day to get some writing done, but I really love the idea of picking up a poem. That feels like the perfect transition in to talk a little bit about your work as a creative coach to kick us off into that part of the conversation. I wanted mm -hmm. to know if you have thoughts about the particular challenges that we face as creative people in the year 2021, <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe also like this decade as well, but, but yeah, I mean, like in the modern world that we're all living in where the smartphones rule our days, what are some of the particular challenges that we face? Well, I think one of the, the huge challenges, which is, is huge. And I, I don't want to underplay it is uncertainty. Mm. And, you know, I think we've all in the last few months had more than our fill of yes. having that brought home to us. That there's so many things that we've taken for granted that we're just whipped away. And even when and if, hopefully, we do get to recover some of that, we'll never get all of it back. You know, the world that we took for granted before is, is gone, really. Yeah. And, you know, so that's bad news. And I I have seen a lot of disruptions. So I've had a whole range in the clients that I've worked with and the creatives I've been speaking to from people who have been hardly disrupted at all because they work at home anyway or online and all the way through to severe disruption, not being able to work, not being able to bring their work to market. But one thing that I have been reminding people of and myself is that as creatives, we are actually better than most at tolerating uncertainty. Because we do it every day. I mean, if you're a writer, you've got to face that blank page and create in spite of it or with it. You know, you're, it's never going yeah. away. Yeah. However much you've written, however great your last book was, you've still got to sit down and do it all over again or do something else from scratch. So I do think we, we've got this ability to, to tolerate uncertainty. This is why most people are not writers or most people don't pursue a creative career because it's stressful. They yeah. want security and stability. And, you know, I would encourage you, if you're listening to this, if you write professionally in any capacity, look for security elsewhere in your life. 
yeah find ways of of getting it and accept that the uncertainty and insecurity is part of the writing life and actually that's part of why we love it isn't it because we don't know i mean i I've, I've been doing it for years and years and i have a low boredom threshold i never get bored of writing hmm. because you know we do it to discover yeah as much as to so as much as to express you know what do i think about this rather than you know just transcribing what i already know that's so true that resonates with me so you've been doing this work for a long time working with creative people helping them overcome their creative blocks and you know find a way to create and produce something that they can feel really proud of what are some of the things that you see the obstacles you see people bumping into over and over again regardless of who they are what background they come from or what are some of the the predictables of being a creative person uncertainty failure mm-hmm. in inverted commas often feeling like the odd one out yeah because it's very likely that you are the you you could be the only one in your family or the only one in your immediate social circle whoever who does the thing that you do i mean i have really good friends i've known for 30 years and you know I, they will some of them will still turn to me on the second glass of wine and say what is it you do again exactly <laughs> you know like, and i try and explain it all over again and yeah obviously we like being the odd one out to a degree but i think it's really important that you find a community that you find teachers mentors peers to help you that's why i think what you're doing with your community here is is really important Alison because you you're in a place where it's normal to be a writer when you come into yeah. to find your voice so i would say that is really an important thing to do and when you do that what you will very likely discover when you talk to your peers and people who are a bit further down the line is a lot of the things that you struggled with on the emotional side on the fears on the doubts on the self criticism on the you know what's wrong with me why can't i just pursue the the usual path it's it's not personal to you because all yeah. these other writers that you speak to are experiencing the same thing so i've like to say this kind of thing it's an occupational hazard if you're a writer if you're creative and it doesn't solve it overnight but it takes a little bit of the pressure off you and you're like well okay you know if i were a coal miner i'd have to deal with my fear of getting down into small dark spaces you know if i'm a writer yeah. i'm going to have to deal with rejection and criticism and the feeling of what does it matter on a monday morning because there's nobody watching me whether i do this or not yeah. <laughs> you know oh man yes i do know it it just everything you're saying lands with me so much because it's been you know in, it's been involved in every part of my experience for the last 12 years that I've been doing this. But I was just thinking as you were talking, you know, I asked you like, what are the, what are the predictable things if you're going to live this creative life? And you said uncertainty, failure, and feeling like the odd one out. And that list right there reminded me of how, just how the myths that we have about what it means to be a writer and how before I entered into this career, when I had a much more predictable and stable and secure kind of lifestyle where I showed up to work every day and I got a paycheck every two weeks and I had a 401k and all of that stuff. How I thought that being a writer would be like this, you know, really like glamorous. I'd be like infused with inspiration every day. I'd sit <laughs> on my computer and like the words would just flow and I'd have all this freedom and I'd have all this time on my hands and I could choose what I wanted my days to look like. And of course there are parts of that that are true. That's what keeps me doing this. But 
Mm. But like, you know, when people are like, oh, no, I could never be a writer because I don't have a degree or I could never be a writer because I, I, you know, I don't I don't think I'm that good at it or whatever. I just kind of pull people back to this and remind them like to be a writer, to be a creative person means uncertainty, failure and feeling like the odd one out. So if you feel that way, then congratulations. Welcome to the club. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I'm curious you, you could answer this for you and or for your clients. Like, what is the thing that in spite of all of that keeps you coming back? Like what, why do we do this then? If that's the, if this is the lot that we've chosen for ourselves, are we just, are we just sort of like a little masochistic or yeah. What is it that keeps us coming back? Love. Hmm. Yeah. We love doing this. And you know, I've, I've heard you on this show talk to guests about, you know, the, the, the time we all kind of fall in love with writing or, you know, if we're another kind of artist, when, you know, whenever I ask people about this, there's that moment where they see something or they read something or they hear something and they're captivated by it. And then slowly that the thought forms, could, could I do that too? Could yeah. really, could I play too? And that's the thing because, you know, and I like your description because it, it isn't, that the inspiration is always flowing gloriously. I don't think it ever flows glamorously in my office, but, um, <laughs> but you know, there are those moments and there are those days and, the, and, and the more into the zone of a piece of writing I am, the more consistently that happens is that feeling of, I would rather be doing this than anything else. Hmm. And it's, it's in that space that that's where the magic comes and that's really what we can't give up even though there might be all the logical reasons in the world not to bother yeah that that is true for me for sure i've thought a thousand times in the last 12 years like why don't i have a real job (laughs) i should just maybe go get a job but i do keep coming back for the love of it it's it's really you know at the end of the day this is exactly what i want to be doing you, your latest book is called 21 Insights for 21st Century Creatives. Could you tell us what, which one of those insights seems to be most surprising for readers and why do you think it's so surprising for them? Sure. So I wrote the book. Originally, it was a large blog post and I got emails from readers saying, man, this is a bit hard to read on my phone. Is, is there any chance you could, well, you know, on the you know, on the web. Could you do this as a PDF or maybe print it up? Mm-hmm. And so I extended it into a book, but originally it was a piece called 21 Insights from 21 Years as a Creative Coach. And I thought, okay, if I'm 21 now, I've been doing this this long, this traditional coming of age year. So what wisdom can I glean from all of that time? And I just went through and I deliberately kept it short. And I just came up with 21 insights about different aspects of the creative life and it's the, the the way the book's turned out. It's a little bit like you know the Rorschach in, inkblot test because different people mention different insights depending mm. on their personality and where they're at right now. And but having said that, the one that I hear people pick up on most is forget the career ladder, start creating assets. And this comes from, and this is you know the big picture career answer to dealing with uncertainty. We all have to deal with it in the moment when we're facing the blank page and in the morning on any given day. But, you know, it came from hearing, and I think many of us can recognize this, we are struggling to make our way on our own original path and, you know, consumed by the usual doubts and fears. And then we start hearing about Cousin George Mm 
who's doing so well at the big law firm in the big city. And <laughs> why can't you be a bit more like your cousin George, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was lucky because I didn't, I didn't get that from my parents. But you get some version of that from your environment. And it really taps into that insecurity of, what am I doing? I've been doing this for X number of years, and here I am. Maybe I haven't published anything. Maybe I haven't sold anything. Maybe I've mm-hmm. published and sold a bit, but not much. And, you know, where, where is this all going? And if you look at the traditional career ladder, there's this idea of logical linear progression where you go from promotion to promotion and you get a bigger, fancier office and a pay rise and a better title and et cetera, all those status markers. Whereas I was thinking if you're an artist or creative, then there is a progression and the progression basically comes from your track record and the kind of assets that that creates and i'm using assets in a specific sense so you know in if you go and talk to a financial advisor they will talk about assets in terms of you know you might have a stock portfolio or you might own a property or you know some people would even own a a company and the idea of an asset is you you buy it or you create it in order to generate future revenue in the form of dividends or rent or, or or whatever it may be and I think if we could take this and apply it to our creative career, we can create assets out of thin air. So the obvious one is your your back catalogue, your work. And if you have got X number of books published, then there's lots of ways that can bring ongoing value and make life easier and help you get more done with less effort as time goes on. So hopefully it, the more books you write, the more you earn in royalties. The more your name is out there, the more readers are aware of you, mm-hmm. the more opportunities come to you. There may be foreign rights deal. There may be a film licensing deal. There, you know, there's stuff like audiobooks and good, you know, different editions and so on that you can produce. There's also those interesting emails that come to you and say, I read your book and I have this idea of this, you know, what we could do together. So if you think about the strategy for your career in terms of creating assets that are going to put your name out there, be things that you create. I mean, for an author, a book is an obvious one. And you've got the book, you've got the intellectual property in the book. You've also got, if you like, the social assets that come out of that, the halo effect, the brand or the the reputation or the network. And it could be concrete stuff like a a mailing list or social media followings and so on. So all of those things, I encourage clients to say, well, what are you doing this year that is going to help you create more and more assets that will make life easier for you as you go on and that will raise your status in a very different way than just climbing that old career ladder? I really love that approach, especially because I think sometimes when you work for yourself as a creative person, it can be really easy to get caught in the trap of, at least for me, I don't know if this is this way for everyone, but coming out of a world where I had, you know, like a nine to five typical job. And then Mm -hmm. I had my time, the time in my days completely open and I had to figure out how I was going to fill them. I of course was trying to get my book written, but I also was responding to emails and kind of trying to find ways to fill my day Mm -hmm. without really in the beginning, I was not strategically thinking about, whether or not the things that I was doing were actually going to get me where I was trying to go. I was kind of doing what I felt like I was, you know, trying to grow my social media platform. I was like completing blog posts. I was, and in a way, looking back, I was creating assets for myself, but I wasn't thinking 
you know, like what of these things that I'm creating is really going to last. I was more just trying to like check all the boxes and do all the things that I knew I needed to do in order to, to, I thought to grow this career for myself. It was a little bit of like hustle without strategy. And this is one thing that I talked to the writers that I work with about, about just avoiding the trap of getting caught in trying to grow your social media platform, but not really creating the thing that you want to create. I think a lot of time can pass and you can feel like you're really busy and you can get the sense that you're making a lot of progress, but the way that you're talking about it, um, uh, years could pass and you could have not created any of those assets that are actually going to really serve your creative life. Yeah. And you know, there's two things to watch out for here. One is the thing that I feel the shiny object that I feel like doing in this moment, because it's more fun or easier mm-hmm. than maybe something deeper. And there's also the chasing the external validation, which obviously is what social media is built on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is why it's so important, I think, to, to get to know yourself and to really keep drilling down into the question, what, what do I really want to create? What is it that is I'm really driven to write? And ideally, you're looking for the match between that thing. And, I, you know, again, slightly romantic here, but I do think – there is a match if you really look for it between the thing that you want most want to do and the thing that the world will value most about yes. you because it's it will be driven by love. Yes. And That's really good. So if you're working on that project and it will be more difficult, it will be scarier, there will be fewer people who get why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And there's no guarantee it will work. It could be another one that ends up in the bottom drawer and then you've got to start all over again, but you know that's what we signed up for. Yeah. Over time, if you're devoting time to that and you're, you know, you pay attention to feedback from trusted sources, then the arc of your career is likely to go towards putting out into the world what you and only you can create. And in, from a strategic point of view, that gives you the best chance of standing out from all the other people out there who are yeah. pounding away at their keyboards at the same time. It's so true. I'm I'm curious what you'd say to someone. I know we have a lot of listeners who do really love to write and this is an outlet for them. They're they're not full-time creative people necessarily. They have a job in some form or another that, you know, takes up most of their time and their creative work is something they're doing on the side and they many of our listeners dream of publishing someday or you know, they might call it a pipe dream like it would be cool if I publish someday but I don't know if I ever will. But I think there's still a lot that you could say to someone who's in that position who may be getting the sense that the work that they're doing from nine to five isn't really filling their soul. It's paying their paycheck, Mm -hmm. but it's not really, it's not, it's not the thing that they want to contribute while they're here on this earth. So I I don't know if you have, what what would you say to a person who's in that position, who's kind of got like this sense of there's a disconnect because I go to my job every day and I do the job and I do a good job and I get paid and, and I, you know, I'm not going to quit my job tomorrow maybe, but, but I, I know, I, I know that this is not the thing that I'm here to do. Well, there's nothing wrong with having a day job if mm-hmm. you can make it work. I mean, Chaucer had a day job. One of my, you know, one of the greatest poets in English, often called the father of English poetry. He had a job working for the King. You know, he spent, a lot of time working for the in the customs office and overseeing his majesty's building works and all of that stuff so he you know he did pretty well 
I mean, personally, it doesn't work for me. It literally makes me ill if I have a day job. So it's, mm. you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the awkward squad. But there, there are lots of great writers who do that and make it work. I mean, Philip Larkin is one of the great 20th century poets. I mean, poets, I guess we're used to having day jobs. There's even a cartoon you can find on the internet called Day Jobs of the Poets. You Google that, you'll see all the weird and wonderful things that we've done. But it doesn't mean that we're any less poets, we're any less creative. So whatever you do, don't hang your validation as a, an artist, as a writer, on how much you get paid or whether you get paid. The most important thing, and you know, I've done jobs that I didn't enjoy in order to, in my own mind, you know, fund my mission, keep me moving forward. Mm -hmm. As long as you feel you're on your mission, as long as you're writing ideally every day, at the least every week, as long as you have place for writing in your life, you're a writer. Mm -hmm. And that there's tremendous freedom that comes in that. I mean, when I was starting my first blog, I had far too much to do, but I realized I wasn't employed, but I was self-employed, which as we know, <laughs> that that takes a lot of time. <laughs> and I wanted to start writing this blog because I had read Seth Godin. I had this idea it could transform my life, and indeed it did. But I got up early in the morning. I got up an hour earlier in the morning, and I wrote the blog in that time. And I felt fantastic the rest of the day because I'd made a, a deposit into a, you know, it's like into the a different future. Yes. And I was connected to who I was as a writer. So that gave me a freedom the rest of my day. And, you know, I still... I write in the mornings, but I coach all afternoon. Yeah. And I, I do my thing first. I've, I've fed my soul, and then I can be there and be engaged in the world and, and give to my clients. And also, I have to say, it's quite nice to get to lunchtime and think, well, I don't have to do any more writing, but yeah. I can still call myself a writer all day. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah. So if you're in that position where you have limited time, it's, it's not about the quantity. It's about the quality Such good of advice. attention that you bring to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, there's been an adjustment of expectation because when I, you know, quote unquote, quit my full-time job, I thought that what I'd be doing all day was writing and, and, uh, you know, even just the practicals of that, if you think about it, like nobody sits down and, and writes for eight hours a day. And also, you know, even though, I'm technically making a full-time living from my writing. I'm also just like you, I'm coaching people and running a business. Yeah. And, and so my writing happens first thing in the morning. And then the rest of the day is just what everyone does at a job, which is like email and <laughs> meetings and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah. so yeah, it's not like, I feel like I had this idea in my head that once I quit my job, I would no longer be tethered by the thing, you know, like the, the trappings of, of a job. And the fact of the matter is like some of those things, you just, they're not going to go away. Email's not going to go away. Meetings are not going to go away, but that doesn't mean that we can't find ways to fit creativity and writing into our life. Yeah. And I think there's a finite amount of really good writing you can do in a day. I mean, if I do three hours, I'm pretty well done. Yeah. And yeah. if I have the whole day, so I, you know, I have a client free afternoon, then I don't get twice as much writing done. I'm not nearly yeah. as good in the afternoon. And if you, there's a wonderful book by Mason Curry called Daily Rituals. And mm. he's collected lots of accounts of what famous writers and artists and a few scientists as well, how, what do they do all day from their diaries or interviews or, you know, accounts of by other people? Most of them don't spend more than three or four hours a day writing or painting. Yeah. You know, the rest of it is answering letters, going for walks, drinking cocktails, getting into trouble, 
And that's actually quite an encouraging book to read because you think, oh, well, so I don't have to be doing an eight-hour day. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, as creative people, when we're working on a project, we get to shape the project that we're working on. Do you feel like also our work shapes us? Oh, yes. And in a good way, I like to think, you know, because for one thing, we're always trying new things and we're learning every day. And of course, when you learn something new, that changes you. You know, if you learn a language, then that that's becomes a part of you in a mm-hmm. weird sense, or you learn to play the piano or touch type or whatever. And another thing, I think particularly for writers, is this idea of writing as an act of discovery. I mean, I interviewed Mimi Calvati, my mentor, gosh, maybe three years ago, and we ended up calling the interview Poetry as Discovery because she kept coming back to this. She writes poetry in order to discover what she thinks or feels or sometimes doesn't even feel about something. And mm. she was always quite tough with us if if she said, you know, the trouble with this poem draft is that you knew everything that was in it before you sat down to write it, she said, and that is why poetry has not walked in the door yet. So that always stayed with me. Is And I think we know this. When it's a good writing session, it's when we surprise ourselves. Something happens yeah. that we didn't expect, uh, maybe even shocking, but at least surprising and, and often delightful. And of course that changes us because we're, you know, we're, we know something about ourselves or maybe about life or whatever topic is that we're writing about. That My old hypnotherapy teacher, Ray Keedy Lilly, used to say, you know more than you know you know. And yes. writing is a way of bringing that to light. That's such a beautiful way to say that. You know more than you know you know. I'm writing that yeah. down. Do you have a quote from your book that you, you could share with us just to give us a sense of what the book feels like? Well, I could almost pick an insight at random, but maybe from the theme of today that your creativity is your security you know Mm. back to that thing about insecurity it's the thing that whatever else is going on you can still reclaim you can still do for yourself if you even you know at least for poets you don't even need pen and paper or computer you can make a poem up in your head and i always think if i'm doing that and i'm out and about without anything to record it i think well if it's any good i should remember it and so that can always be a a place, a refuge in my day, whatever mm. else is going on. And then if we think about it in bigger terms, it links up to creating assets because you are creating an asset in terms of your work, intellectual property, brand, and so on, that is really the only security we're ever going to have in, in mm. a career as a creative. Oh, the last question that I always ask in these conversations, and I think I already know your answer, <laughs> but you tell me, maybe maybe there's something that you haven't said yet that you want to add. But I always ask the question, you know, because writing is such a difficult task and because there's so much resistance, I want to know what keeps you coming back to the writing process. Uh, well, obviously love. Mm-hmm. which I've said earlier on. But I guess building on that and in in the context of what keeps you doing it, I, because I haven't finished yet, there's still more I yeah. want to do. It's like the feeling of when we were kids and, you know, you get called in and it's time for dinner or time for bedtime. It's like, oh, yeah, can I have five more minutes? I haven't finished. Yeah. I'm sure I'm going to feel like that, you know, when my turn comes to go upstairs. It's like, well, but should, can I just finish this before I go? <laughs> and I always feel like, you know, I just want to do, it's that I want to do a bit more. There's something elusive that I haven't caught and it's probably always going to be out of reach. But if I run really fast, then may, maybe today's the day I will catch it. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. Mark, what a beautiful conversation. What a rich, rich. Yeah. There's just so, so many I'm scribbling as you're talking because there's just so many things I want to remember that you said. So thank you so much for being here with us today and for sharing your insight and wisdom with us and all of your expertise that you have from years and years of doing this yourself and helping other clients. Where, where can people find you? I know you have a podcast. Do you want to talk a little bit about the podcast and send people there? And, and also, I also know you have a free creative course that you offer that would be a great fit for any of our listeners. So make sure you tell them where they can find that as well. Okay, great. Well, first of all, thank you, Alison, for creating such a lovely space to come and talk about all of this stuff. It's a real, it's a real mm-hmm. gift. And in terms of, yeah, my universe. So I have a podcast called the 21st century creative. It's about all types of creativity in the 21st century creative, artistic, uh, media, performers. I must know that there's probably, if you were to analyze it, there would be probably more writers than any other type, given that I'm a, yeah. a writer myself. But what I, I focus on there is the stuff that is common to any creative career. So the creative process, the motivation, the, the fear and doubt, the, you know, dealing with the inner critic, the, the big picture strategies like the asset building. So that's the 21st century creative. My main website is lateralaction.com. If that's where uh, you can find out about my coaching service, the podcast is housed there. And there's also, as Alison said, there is a free course called the 21st century creative foundation course, which is 26 lessons with worksheets about the fundamental skills that you need to thrive as a creative in the 21st century. So starting with your ambitions and looking at creativity, productivity, communication of various kinds, presenting, marketing, motivation, and so on. So if you go to lateralaction.com slash free course, you can sign up and get that via email. I love that. I I love that you have that offering. It's such a generous gift that you are giving to people for free. And I think it's a perfect fit for so many of our listeners who are creative people for sure and have a creative practice in their life. But, um, you know, I know, like I said before, I know a lot of our listeners don't, they're not making a full-time living from their creativity. And so it could be just a great explorative option for them to see if that's something that they would be interested in doing in the future. So Thank you for offering that for free. And and Mark, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for offering us your expertise. Thanks for sharing your time with us. It's, it's, you know, I say this all the time, but our most valuable resource. So we're really grateful. Thank you so much, Alison. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.